Praise God. Now we speak, um, I speak peace over you, Esther. It's going to be all right. You've been through a lot. And the uh, key point is you've been through it. And it's well. And um, we speak health and vitality over you from this point forward in, in every way. In Jesus' name. Thank you for that ministry, Les. Thank you for that powerful word, Monica. Thank you for the wonderful ministry and um, worship and um, declaration. Had a wonderful time in Sunday school this morning. We're just blessed all over the place, aren't we? And um, I want you to turn in your Bible or whatever electronic device you have that has the Bible on it, to Psalm 27. We're going to be looking at verse 5. This, the Lord started to speak to me about this topic yesterday morning during our first Saturday prayer time. And um, I, I started ruminating upon it, and it was only when I got back home that it dawned on me that this was in the midst of a chapter that has been like a, a continuing point of sustenance for me over the past year and a half. And, um, but I do, I do know that it is a rhema word for us in this particular season and in, um, and in this month that has, it's already been noted, um, this is a Parat Sunday, this is a, uh, the month of the evangelist, and, um, uh, this this is a word for us. You know, I know lots of different people watch this broadcast every week, and everyone in the Saints Network understands that we try our very best to listen to what God is saying for us to give, and we want more than anything to have a timely word, a timely word for the pathway God has given us. Now, other people watch this, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to speak into your lives, but you may be tuning in today and you want some kind of counsel. You may be, you want some kind of an exhortation to buck it up and you're going to go forward and have victory. You, you may want some kind of uh, word of uh, remedy for your emotional climate. And to me, let me just give you a, let me give you a, a word here. Um, the greatest point of emotional salve I've ever received has been knowing that God is with me in his timetable and that he's led us for that moment in our pathway. And I know that if, if I am in that, if I'm confident that I'm in that, all the other things take care of themselves. I don't have to go and sit with somebody and spill out my my guts and tell all the stuff that's going on in me and ask for oh poor you I don't need any of that I need to know that I am where God wants me to be in his timing and hopefully have some kind of an insight that he would provide in every step of the pathway and you know I think honestly that's really the chief end of man I mean, I, I think that's what we're really supposed to be doing. That's why we're created, to walk with God 
and to recognize the pathway. And so many times people need counseling because they're so far out of the pathway of God. And, and I, for them, so many times, I remember in past years, I would counsel with somebody. Usually it's the, the person talking 95% of the time and me just getting a word in edgewise. Uh, and I think God help them. I mean, I hope that something that I said has been a point of meaning for them. But in all truth, what they need more than anything is to encounter you and start walking with you. I mean, not just know about you and not just know a 911 to pray, but to, to really know you're there and to walk with you. And I don't know why I'm saying all this right now. Maybe somebody's tuning in and you need to hear this. The most important thing you need right now is a relationship. I mean a relationship with the Lord. I'm not talking about being born again. There are a lot of Christians who are born again who don't really have a relationship with God. That's just the truth. You know, I was my father's son, and I didn't really know my father. I mean, he was a good man, but, you know, it was like ships passing the night. And I, I just hoped that he didn't yell at me. And I tried to find ways to get around getting yelled at. So being in the family didn't make any, any allowance for the fact that I had an absolute relationship with him. I'm grateful. But there are a lot of people who are with God, and they know how to pray and how to ask things in Jesus' name. They've got their litany of, of verses memorized. And, but when it comes down to it, are you really sure that you're where God wants you to be and that you're listening to Him daily and you don't have to tune into some sermon from some hot speaker that makes you feel like you're secure? Um, that's really what we need more than anything. And so discerning the times and the seasons like Issachar did, which really set the stage for all that Israel should do, is what we need to be in our own lives. I mean, um, you, you need to be assured that you may not, you, you probably, here's a newsflash, you probably aren't going to understand everything that's going on. In fact, you may not know a whole lot about what's going on. But your position is to be where God wants you and listening to what he's saying. That's what the friend of the bridegroom is. That's what that's what John the Baptist is described as doing. He stood and he listened. And, you know, God is going to tell you what you need to know, and that should be, that should be the greatest blessing to, to live in that reality. And so, you know, you study about the evangelist, and there's one thing that really stands out. Katie's saying a little snippet about this is that so much about perhaps we look at Philip as the, as the main example, is it was unexpected. <laughs> you know, the evangelist, was, it was unexpected. He, he or she did not have a, a long um, sequence of scheduled meetings and tent revivals. Philip, the Spirit says, go and walk out through here. And then, oh, you know, uh, here you are in this place. Preach Christ. Now, go up toward this way. Oh, there's, a, there's an Ethiopian chariot and a eunuch in there, you know. 
And then the Spirit's going to catch you away, and you're going to find yourself in Azotus. And then the next thing Philip thinks is, well, I've been out a while. I don't know what he thought. It's time to go home. So he started heading back toward Caesarea, and he preached as he went along the way. All of that was unplanned. All of that was unexpected. But in the midst of it, the Spirit did incredible things. That's what we need in the work of the evangelist. That's why we, how we do, as Timothy was, the work of an evangelist. We need to be so attuned to what God's doing in grace that we can sense his grace remedies and that we can say, what do you put in front of me that needs to be functioning? that I have a responsibility for, and I need to have the working of that dunamis. And the way that happens is through the unexpected epiphanies of God. We need that. And you can't, honestly, you look in the Scripture, you commit yourself to being sensitive to the Spirit, but you cannot, according to what the Scripture says, you cannot plan the work of the evangelist. You, you really can't. And then again, I go back to the biblical record. Did Philip plan any of that? He, was he ready for it? As much as he could be. He studied to show himself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He stuck to that word. You know, understandest what thou readest? How can I unless somebody shows me? That was the eunuch's response. And Philip then spoke. Have you been baptized? Philip was ready. He didn't, he didn't plan for any of that. And we need that. That is a measure of breakthrough because the evangelist sets the stage for the move of the apostolic word. And, you know, um, I, I, I studied, uh, I read um, in Theological Word Book of the New Testament, and I was looking what they said about the evangelist. It was really kind of interesting because the author said that every apostle was an evangelist at heart, but not every evangelist was an apostle. I thought, that's kind of an interesting statement. I would add a caveat to that. If you have an evangelistic orientation, be that. Don't envy the apostle. If you are the apostle, Trust the evangelist, and, and, but keep your eye on what your mission is. And we have a mission. We have an apostolic mission. I wish you could have seen the, the wonderful reception of uh, the teaching on this past Friday, beginning the third semester of teaching for the Brazilian pastors. There was such an excitement, such a, you know, such a, a glow on, on the faces of these of these folks as we spoke about things that God has given to us as saints. I don't have to preach somebody else's material. I mean, the Apostle Paul said that too. I'm not saying don't know about it. But I want to make sure that when you, when you buy something at the, at the Pneumonicost store and it says saints meet, it's not mixed in with a hybrid of 15 other uh, uh, butchers, you know, this is what God has given us, and we are anchoring it in the Scripture. And so when, when you give that, there's hunger there, and there's, there's a reception there because God has made that appointment. We didn't make that appointment. We didn't, we didn't say, okay, our five-year plan is we're going to be in Brazil in a year. 
Well, you know, you know that. I mean, Debbie Kay's been praying about Brazil for years and years and years. Well, we didn't say, okay, we're going to do this right now. God opened it. And it was, that's the way you want it. You don't want to go someplace before the time or miss the time. It, it, the evangelistic quickening comes, um, and, and, and if we're sensitive to it, it's the unexpected moment, but it's the expected outcome. And that's really where we are. Another thing about this day, and we are going to get to Psalm 27, verse 5, is that I remember many years ago when God started to speak with us about standing in the gap and then the breakthrough that comes because we stand in the gap. And that concept of parets and parats was unique for us. I mean, it's not unique to God because that's what God does everywhere in the Scripture. You have to take a stand if you're going to want to have breakthrough. You can't do drive-by breakthrough. I mean, you can't do blitzkrieg breakthrough. You've, you've got to have paid the price to partner with God and stand in the place that he's called you, and then you believe from that point under the power of the cross and the authority from the throne that God is going to do what he said, his kingdom is going to come, and you're going to expand at his directive. And I remember when God was first giving that to us, and it was such a, it was such a liberating understanding, and so much so that a few years later, we felt the Lord was saying on the last Sunday of the month, you thank the Lord for the gap that he's given to you to stand in, in partnership with him. And you thank him for all of the ways that he's provided for you to serve him in that place. And you welcome the supply and the provision and the direction that you need to continue to stand firmly in that place. And then on the first Sunday of the month, you believe for the Parat's Breakthrough. The breaker has come up before them and is at the head of them as they go forth. It's an incredible thing. I have been praying a lot recently, and this is just a, a side path, and I'll just get off and catch my breath in and get back on the main path, about the whole business of Uzzah and God breaking through upon him. There's something mighty about that, and that that gap that God was looking at, his gap, was that framework where he wanted his kingdom to come. And when that was messed with at all, God broke through upon it. It didn't matter who was involved with it. But the ultimate gap for God, God's gap, is restoring his plan for you and me and restoring this earth to what he created it to be, and setting in motion then the, uh, the confluence of influences and, and results in breaking forth throughout the universe. See, that's God's gap. And that's really the heart of where we are. You know, there's only one God. There's only one truth. I don't care how try to eliminate dualism. Jesus was the most dualistic person you would ever see on the earth. Lord, would you do this? Lord, are you going to do this at this time? Lord, are you going to do... Don't you know I've come to do one thing? That's my father's... If that's not dualism, I don't know what is. 
And you have a lot of teachings right now that are training progressives that anything goes. And you have to say yes. And you have to say and. And Jesus only said yes to the will of the Father. And he didn't say a whole lot of ands. I've come to do the will of him who sent me. And. Uh-uh. That's not in there. That is not in there. No matter how many progressive uh, manuscripts you dig up from old saint so-and-so, that's not in there. And so we need to recognize that we are doing what God has asked us to do. And, and in this rather unusual time frame across the world, we, our best bet is to say, Lord, we're standing in this gap. We're holding our ground. You are hiding us here. There's going to be a breakthrough. At some point, it may be that pouring out of the Spirit that we heard about earlier. It, it, but, it, it, but it may be that God says, okay, enough, now. And that's what we have to wait for. You can't force that. You can't make that happen. You can't declare, decree, bind, rebuke, loose. You can't loose the timetable of the Lord before his time. You know, the disciples were always after the Lord for time. Lord, will you at this time do this? Tell us when you're coming. Bup, 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 bup. And Jesus would say, nobody knows that but the Father. Imagine that, that Jesus would say that. And how dare we say something similar? Let's go to a prophetic conference and find when Jesus is coming back. Uh, I've been to several of those. And guess what? Every one of them was wrong because we're still here. So the evangelist waits upon God and knows that the explosiveness inherent in that capacity, when God says go, is going to be to ignite the moment and we need to welcome that measure of evangelistic thought um, we, we need to have that in the framework of our cognitive capabilities because god sowed that he tethemied that into the earth and, and into the church when jesus ascended so we need to have that ingrained in us. And to do the work, how do we do the work of an evangelist? Well, when I was growing up, that meant you went out to the mall on Friday night and passed out tracts. I like those chick tracts because those are like reading comic books. Um, Dennis, did you ever bring chick tracts and read them during the, I bet you did, I did. Um, anyway, some of them were kind of far out there. But... Um, but, you know, to do the work of an evangelist is to have that mindset uh, more than anything else that God is going to do a work and I want to be ready for it. I want to be welcoming that work and I, I want to be ready for the suddenly and, and I, I want to see that happen. So I declare that capacity into all of us as saints in this month. And especially on this day when we look for breakthrough, I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I talked to those brothers, and, and we had, uh, I had the privilege of doing a, an additional teaching for France this past week. And um, I'm, I'm ready to see our brothers and sisters. I know you are. 
But you can't hurry that up. It's got to be in God's timing. So, back to the message. And it's uh, Psalm 27, and verse 5 really stood out to me. Um, yesterday when we were praying, I, I felt myself in a, in a cozy place. It was an enclosed place, and it was like an active vision, but it wasn't a vision. It was more like a perception of the reality of where God has us. And I felt closed in but without restriction. And I felt, as I asked the Lord, what is this? I kept hearing the word pavilion and being hidden. And so this is the verse that, that the Lord brought to my heart, Psalm 27, verse 5. In the time of trouble, or Ra, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. You know, this has been a time of Ra. Around the world, I, this is an unprecedented moment worldwide. I, it's just unlike anything men and women have seen. And everywhere, people are secluded. They're, they're sequestered. They're, they're limited. And um, it's, it's, just, it's just there. Now, it's because of this COVID pandemic, but it has produced an environment and it's produced a scenario that I believe God has allowed. Now, I'm not saying God caused this thing, but God allowed. You know, how many times do we see, you know, the enemy come in one way? Something that God wants to do, and he's about to do it, and the Scripture says the enemy, when the enemy comes in, um, and the enemy comes in one way, when, not if, or not God forbid, but when. And the enemy, whatever he does trying to stop things, um, God didn't make that happen. You know, when Jesus preached his first sermon, took the scroll of Isaiah, and those ne'er-do-wells wanted to hurl him off the cliff. They were incensed. Or when he came and the, the, the Lord was healing the, the man with the, with the withered hand. And over on the other side of the synagogue were people plotting to kill him. Did God cause that plotting to kill? Did God cause that cliff-hurling preparation? No. The enemy came in in one way and created that nonsense. But what God was doing was initiating the, the ministry of the Son of God on earth. What God was doing was talking about the visitation of the Spirit to restore the hands of those who should partner with Him. And so, so often, you know, we, we see something happen. Did God create this COVID? No. God created the moment that we're in. And God created what He wants to do in that moment. And God created the necessity for this moment in, in response to what is coming. And so we can question on the head of a pin, you know, did God make COVID? Did God do this? Why did God do that? Well, I don't, honestly, I don't think that God has taken, well, I'm going to rephrase that. God has taken no pleasure in the millions of people who've died from this thing. I think the enemy's fingerprints are all over it. 
mixed in with a few Chinese fingerprints. But, you know, the, the situation, and if you've done any study, mixed in with the, the type of research they were doing that was, was banned during the Obama administration, but somehow we kept supplying money for it. That's another story. And that's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a matter of fact. Mankind and the enemy has done this business. But the moment belongs to God. And when the enemy came in one way, he's fleeing in seven. The sevenfold way is what God is doing. Does that make sense? So, so many times Christians say, oh God, why did this happen? You know, they say it in that voice. And instead of just drawing back, and being quick to hear and slow to speak, what is God doing in this moment? What is God doing in this moment? And that's where we, really where we need to be, recognizing the moment of the Lord, standing and hearing. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the ecclesia, or those who are governmental representatives of the kingdom. We're the friend of the bridegroom, preparing the way of the Lord. What are we listening to? Are we overreacting, or are we hearing? There's a big difference. And so... You know, I believe that where we are right now, these are raw moments. Trouble is raw there. And raw is basically a twisting of the purpose of God. And sometimes when the purpose, the tobe of God is going to be revealed, the enemy comes in with raw to try to twist that tobe moment. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense if you'd ruminate upon it for a minute. And so during the time of trouble, when I see that characterized as raw, I'm thinking, you know, God loves, that's, this is the heart of the saint, to turn those twisted, those dry places, those raw moments back into the tobe that God intended from the very foundation of the world. So whenever I see raw functioning, I should immediately think, that's not of God, but what is of God? What is God wanting to do in this moment that this time of trouble is trying to derail? And we're in a moment that is setting the stage for a great move of the Tobe purpose of God. Now, look at what the rest of this says. In the time of Ra, God is hiding me, and we're going to look at the various places that this word for hide is used in the Scripture it always sets the stage for a miracle. In his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle. Pavilion's kind of a weird word there because no matter where you look for a, a definition, it means a thatched covering. It means some kind of a lean-to, deceptive uh, uh, camouflage thing. It's, it, it's just what it means. It's what this word means. And the secret of his tabernacle to me, the secret of any tabernacle is what God is really trying to establish in his kingdom through that tabernacle. Because secrets with God are always part of his purpose. He loves the mystery. He loves the secret. So David was a tabernacle man. We in the Gentile church are the tabernacle of David. We should be in the secret of his tabernacle right now. What are we, where are we going to establish the dwelling place of God? What is our mission at this moment? And how is God covering us during this time where the enemy is trying to overwhelm it with raw? 
God is hiding us there. Do you realize that you're hidden right now? And if you, if you just look around, you know, people are, even when they go out, they got masks on, they're hidden. You know, I can stand here and I can see Ava's beautiful face back there, but if I was out at Whole Foods, she'd have a mask on. I'd have to say, is that you, Ava? Uh, you, you, if you want to go into some place, it says, by law, you have to wear a mask before you go in here. I'm grateful we're spread out here and we can all see one another. But, you know, the point is, is that one of the signature moments of this time frame is people are hidden. You don't see them out and about. You don't, you don't see them the way you did two years ago. And so there's something about this. Nature is proclaiming the glory of God. This hidden thing, if we just look prophetically, we see signs all around. So God is hiding us. We're in a place of his choosing, awaiting the suddenly, much like, much like those on the original Passover that were hidden and secluded under the covering of the blood, waiting for God to say, the morning has come, go and let Egypt supply you and head toward your promise. We need to embrace the place that God has chosen for us right now and not kick against us and not lament it and say, oh, you know, I just hate this, you know. Well, I don't really like it either. But I've learned to, to, to begin to say, Lord, here I am praying again in this room. And I, I want you to develop this place as, as something beyond. I, every morning I go into our front room and I pray in the dark. And I ask God to, to just dwell there with me. It's a wonderful thing. It's different. It's different. Now, I can come here and pray, and I do that. But I try to do what I'm asking you to do. You know, <laughs> I don't want to say, okay, establish an altar in your home when I know good and well I'm coming here. It's, I'm not in Congress. I don't tell you to do something, and then I do something else, you know. Don't go get your hair done. Wait, I'm going to go get mine done. I hope nobody sees. So, the hiding place. Now, this word is used in a number of wonderful ways. Um, you know, Moses was hidden for three months as a baby. Same word. Before God sent him miraculously into the courts of Pharaoh to be trained and raised there. It's an amazing thing. You know, God had to be in that. If you've got a newborn baby and you have it in some, in some basket floating in the reeds, somebody's going to hear that baby crying. You know? It's just true. And to do that for three months and nobody know when they're trying to kill all the babies, that's a hiding from God, isn't it? That, that really is. It's the only way it could be. You ever try to keep a, a newborn baby from crying? You just can't do it. You, you just can't do it. Sometimes you really, you really want to, but you just can't do it. So that hiding for three months was a miraculous thing. And then at the time when God said, all right, here's the princess of Egypt, boom, and God did that. The suddenly, I, I'm very thankful 
This is a time also, not a time, only a time of raw, but it's a time where the strife of tongues is all around us. And Psalm 31, 20, for those of you who wanted to look, that was Exodus 2, 2 for Moses. Just want, just want to make sure you recognize I'm preaching the word here. Uh, Psalm 31, 20, God hides us from the strife of tongues. Boy, we need that today, don't we? My goodness, well, I don't know if I'm really being beset by the strife of tongues. Everybody in here has been beset by the strife of tongues. There's something you're doing that across the airwaves right now, people are lambasting you for. You don't even have to be doing anything. It could be the color of your skin. It could be, uh, you know, how old you are or how young you are. Somehow, the strife of tongues is seeking you out right now. And guess what? God is hiding you. It's true. Then uh, the two spies went into Jericho in Joshua 2, verse 4. Rahab hid them. Hid them. Now, it sounds real simple. But you have to recognize Rahab wasn't Granny Methuselah in a place where nobody went. She was on the wall of the city, and her paths were well-trodden. And if she was able to hide those dudes, she had to have some help from God. We don't often look at it that way, but it really was a divine hiding. And if you really want to look at it, I mean, how else would that woman end up in the lineage of Christ? How else would that woman be preserved when all those walls were following, falling? How was her house on the wall? How was she How was she? She was hidden. She hid them, and she was hidden. That's a miracle. When God begins to move on this earth in, a, in the way that he has intended to move, there are going to be a lot of wonderful things. There are going to be a lot of challenging things. But God's hiding is upon you. And his debuting is also going to be upon you. One of my favorite verses that we quote, Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's this type of hiding. And you know, this puts a certain caveat to the word, as far as I'm concerned. Not only is it that in one of the the longest chapter in the Scripture. But um, when you're hidden in the Lord and God speaks to you there, that word that you receive helps you in a ram of fashion not to sin against God in a way that other visitations perhaps are not ordained to do. There are things that God has been showing me and I'm sure you in this past year that because of the crucible of the moment, God's Word has ministered to you in a way that in other years it would not have had the scenario through which to do that point of ministry. And that's being sown and hidden there in you. And in, in your quiver, you're going to be able to draw upon that. It's going to help you. It's going to help you. You're being strengthened right now in ways that you don't realize. And so cherish that word that's being hidden in your heart, and you won't miss God. 
I tremble, honestly. Several times a day I think of this. For those who willingly have discarded the Word of God from their walk or discredited it or opened up other words of this property prophecy. John warns about that. And I, I don't know how they're going to make it when the times that are coming. They may be skipping and fancy free right now, but when the heat's on, if you don't have this word that's been hidden in your heart, you're probably not going to make it. And God help you if you've tossed the word or removed so many passages that it's more like a leaflet instead of 66 books. <laughs> a chick track. <laughs> There's nothing to laugh at, but there it is anyway. But, you know, um, I want to have the word in this hiding time hidden in my heart. Don't you? And it goes on, Proverbs 2.1. We have his commandments hidden in us. And in 7.1, Proverbs 7.1, it says the same thing. What's the difference between his word and his commandments? Well, there's a thin line. But the word, to me, it's like, it's like line upon line, precept upon precept. God's word is the basis for everything. But when God begins to bring the synergy of understanding and God is weaving principles together, those really form a command, and it becomes a, a doctrine of conduct for you. And, you know, I, I always love and cherish the Word because it comes, it's, it's, it's bread, it's meat, and I love that. But what would happen if you, if you just ate bread and you ate meat, but it didn't do anything to develop in your body? You'd be a sick puppy, wouldn't you? That's the way the Word should be. It should be absolutely strengthening you, but it should form the basis of your doctrinal identity. It should form those commands by which you live. And we hide those things. And I, I know that both of those factors are happening in us right now. We're receiving Word, but I'm telling you, for me, I, I'm, I can only speak for myself. But, you know, we've been in this saints business from the foundation of the world, but operatively for 20-plus years. I know the difference between getting a fresh revelation and God meditating on accumulation of, of words and saying, look at how these come together. Look at how these come together. This past nine months has been 95% of the time in me how things come together. And I know that means something in the Lord. I know that means something for where we're going. And it, it signifies a strengthening. It signifies a, a knitting together, a galvanizing of those precious encounters and words that God has given. We're being girded up for something. We're being girded up for something. You know, you, you have the word come into that ma'a place and you, re, you gain the truth. But there comes a time then where God says, you better gird up those loins. We're going. You know? And so I think that's what God's been doing, and especially in this evangelistic moment. Um, in Proverbs also, in Proverbs 2.7, the righteous, God hides sound wisdom 
in you. And it goes along with what we've just been saying about commands. Wisdom in the Old Testament regularly, almost exclusively, has to do with how you're going to partner with God in taking His light into the places that He's chosen to penetrate darkness. We've studied and written a couple of books on that. Many of you have taught on it. You know it to be true. But God is hiding those types of, of uh, associations and um, preparations for where we're going. And, and it's amazing how the Spirit searches those truths and pulls them out at the time that they're needed. I love that. He searches the innermost parts of the candle of the Lord. I love that. But during this time of being hidden, God's doing that. I love Psalm 31, verse 19. Um, God hides the tobe in us who fear Him. That's a great verse, isn't it? God is hiding His eternal purpose in you. And he's, He is... Um, meditating on that. Have you noticed, have you noticed, I'm, I'm sure this is the case in most of your life. I mean, there have been times in the first part of the, our encounters with God in, in diversities of tongues and whatever, that throughout the night there'd be a lot of warfare um, in the spirit realm. And there still is that to some degree. But to me now, in the night, I, I wake up or I'm having dreams that is just more conversational with God and His Spirit and the angels are saying things and almost a discussion uh, of, uh, come, let us reason together. And that's precious. Isn't that true? That's what God's been doing. And, and I believe that He's honing the, the facets of His tobe within us during this time of his chosen hiddenness. And Proverbs 13.22 says that God has been hiding the inheritance of, children, of the children, for the children. <laughs> I love that. You see, God hides things. And so when we're hidden in the covering that God has put on us, on behalf of the tabernacle, the secret of his tabernacle, that hiding is more than just a, a subterfuge against the enemy's assignments. The enemy knows where we are. He keeps track of the saints. He doesn't have to keep as much track of a lot of Christians because they're not doing anything anyway. But he keeps track of the saints. He knows right where you are. And I'm not saying that from a prideful standpoint or from a fearful standpoint. Neither one of those is the case. So God's hiding is, is really not pulling one over on the enemy. It's all these other things that he's doing in the midst of the hiding that is a secret gift to you. And so for any way during this time that, Father, I have kicked against these things that you've put around my life, in this unusual visitation, unlike anything that's ever been known on this earth, 
especially during the modern era where we are a second away of, from contacting someone in, in Australia or in Singapore or wherever. I mean, this, this time frame is outrageously unusual. And it has to mean something prophetic. And I do believe, as we're expecting the suddenly of the Lord, that we should begin to examine, why are we hidden? Oh, it's because, thank God we live in Governor Abbott's state. We can get out and about. Sometimes I, I listen to Luke and Sylvie, and I hear the different restrictions that are placed upon them in Monte Lamar. You know, you, you, you can't go farther than a kilometer. You can't do this. You can't go out walking. You know, you have to have a little slip of paper that you fill out. Boy, I'd love to have that in school. You know, hall pass. Fill your own hall pass out. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, you'll have to ask Luke about his strategies with those passes. But we're glad we're here in Texas where we can go out and about. But, you know, the point is, though, that we're still restricted and will be for a while. I keep monitoring international travel and what's necessary to be able to go over there. I see that Sweden just approved some kind of a database for vaccinations that their people have to have before they can fly or travel not only within the country but going to the other parts of, uh, of Europe. I'm looking at how that's going to affect us because when we're free here in the U.S., all these places that God has ordained for us to go to, they're still having restrictions. And so, you know, I'm looking at that and I, I'm saying... Lord, you know, we, we've got some restrictions. But I'm then looking at what's the, with all this raw and with all this strife, what is that rising up to try to stop? Really, essentially, to try to stop. And I believe it's this moment that God has ordained for us to be hidden in Him that is doing an eternal work that we may not realize and the suddenly is coming. You know, what were those people in, you say, give me an illustration of that. I'm closing the Bible, so you mean I'm really serious now about closing, but I could open it again. You know, what were they doing at Pentecost? They're in the upper room. They're offering a supplication and they're in proscuneo and they're they're hearing the prosukes from the Lord. And 10, 15 people leave now. And 10, it was like Saul almost when he was waiting for Elijah to come or Samuel to come. People are scampering out. Those 500 somehow whittle down. 75% of them scamper out. What do you think those people felt? They were kind of hidden, weren't they? They're in an upper room. They didn't even have tongues yet. So they weren't hollering out in divers' tongues. They were praying in the way they knew how to pray. But they were kind of hidden. They were secluded there. And what was coming? Suddenly. And then it all came out. And there was a visitation unlike anything that had ever been known. But it was in the Father's timetable. It was in the Father's moment. And Peter then stood up and began to speak under the unction of the Spirit those things that 
God had been preparing in him during that time where they were just hanging around waiting. You know, I'm not much happening here. I guess I'm going to leave. I'll be back when it happens. That's what the 75% said. But those who waited and were hidden in anticipation of the promise of who? The Father. They were ready. We're hidden. God's going to move. Yeah, Ra has come in one way. But he's going to flee in seven. And I'm not so interested about how the enemy's fleeing. I'm interested in how that seven is moving. And that's what we are being prepared for. So on this Breakthrough Sunday, this Parat Sunday, and on this month where we give homage to that gift of the evangelist that should be part of the mind of Christ in all of us, we must accept where God has put us and be faithful to what He's called us to be and not kick against the pricks of the moment, but to believe for these hiding uh, benefits that are cherished in the heart of God and that are for our benefit. And I know, you know, some of you are more socially inclined and you, you get lonely and you, you like to have this and you like to have that. Sow that stuff into the heart of the Father. And know that God is using this moment for a bigger point of blessing than you realize in your life. And I, I would invite you to take these scriptures and declare them over yourself. What is God hiding in me during this time of being sequestered? What, what is really happening in the spirit realm and for what purpose? What's coming? Help me to be ready, Lord. And if, if we go after the tobe, instead of going after the complaint and the fear and the bitterness and, you know, I just can't believe it's still this, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'd like to be able to be with my friends. and, 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 and. Embrace the moment. What, what, else, what else can you do with it? And recognize that God is with you. And God has chosen this unprecedented visitation around the earth. The enemy's tried to twist it and to put his spin on it. And he's done a pretty good job of it. But it only seems like he's in control. God has the ultimate say. And when the enemy has come in in that way, God is preparing the seven in us. So let's act like it. Amen? Let's act like it. And let's, let's know that we are in the tabernacle of the Lord. And let's know that we are, uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets in. <laughs> let's know that we are partnering with, with something that's coming. It's on the doorstep. And let's, let's take full advantage of this time of accord and preparedness because it's a rich moment in God. Say, I said I was closing. I still have my Bible closed. Do you know, do you ever realize here in this house 
during those um, seven years where we prayed here, it really didn't go anywhere. Do you realize how God had hidden us during that time and prepared us and was working through things in us before he just flung the door open and we were in Africa and we were in Europe and we were, I mean, we hit the ground running and we ran. Seven years we prayed. We're hidden in God. Now the enemy knew where we were. Denominational officials knew where we were. <laughs> but God was hiding us. And in the moment of his suddenly, we went forth. I'll never forget. I, I have to say this. Sometimes we forget the miracles that God has worked among us. It was a month after we transitioned as a, into a, a church that then would gain an affiliation with those other churches and saints around the world. One month after that, we had a pastor from Paris, France, standing in this place, and he and his wife, and he said to me, you don't need to have an earthly father say anything over you now. The heavenly father is your father. And then he stood back and he said, I welcome you into France. One month after. How did that happen? I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> now, yeah, we had done activations. We had obeyed. We, we'd done those crazy things around North America and in the Caribbean and in Mexico. Well, Mexico is part of North America. Um, we had done all that about the French, but... What the timing? How did that happen? That's, it's almost unbelievable, but it happened. God knew. It was God's timing, and He did it. What's ahead for us? What's ahead for you? Let's take advantage of these moments and not be foolish. Let's not let the, the mind of Ra or the mind of man corrupt our perception of what God is doing right now because this is a divine moment. God has not lost control. God is not, God is not sitting on the throne, scratching his head, thinking, what am I going to do next? Up, pacing back and forth from the right and the left. I just don't know. I'm God, but I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. God has not lost control. You are hidden by him. And these tabernacles are going to not only touch the places where God has already taken us, he's going to cause those places to send forth tabernacles in obedience. And we're earmarked for places where we've not been yet because the Father's work is still burgeoning and must be done for the night comes when no man can. So let's take advantage of this time of being hidden. And let's remember that part of the evangelistic factor of the mind of God is the suddenly and how grace remedy can be applied 
to bring things into a dunamis function, to set the stage then for the full-blown apostolic visitation that has been entrusted to us. Amen? I speak blessing over all of you, and I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I am very thankful for the, the willingness of each one of you in this house and across the world to stand faithfully in the gap. Yeah, we don't understand all the stuff that happens. Frankly, I don't want to. There's some things we don't need to know. But one thing I do know, and that is that God is faithful. And He's not brought us this far to abandon course. Hold on. Know that place, that precious place of being hid in Him. And let's be ready. Because the suddenly, suddenly is coming. This time of trouble ain't lasting long. Tobe is on the way. Amen? Father, thank you for this, and um, thank you for the, the privilege of being able to pray in Peretz and Parats. And we ask that as we commune with you today, that you would fill us with the anticipation of your excitement for what you've ordained to come. And I ask you, Father, that you would especially stir all of our hearts. If there are those who have become weary, if there, if there are those who perhaps uh, admit today that, yeah, I did kind of lose perspective a bit, let them know how much you love them and stir and blow upon the coals of that fire within them, me included, and let us in these coming days find the treasures in the hidden place and, and speak to us about the secret, that mystery that the tabernacle is being sent forth to manifest. Thank you, Father. Bless every person. We continue to declare the blood over everyone. Health, life, provision, protection over every one of you, and we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here. It's been a good morning. Good to see you, Sarah Barra, and uh, you all have a good afternoon, okay? God bless you.